So we do commend ourselves to God. The Christian says, Father, take me. We as a church say, Father, take us. Make us what you would have us to be. And he does that. He works in us and among us just like that. He takes us and fashions us after the image of Christ. And how does he do that? He does it by the ministry of his word in our lives, blessed by the power of his spirit. And so we would worship God now again in the reading and this time the preaching of his word. And you can see in your bulletin that we're turning again this morning to Isaiah chapter 55. And it's noted there in your bulletin, we're going to train our attention on those few verses beginning at verse 6. But just to get our bearings here, listen to the opening verses of the chapter so that you can be reminded of what we looked at last Sunday, beginning at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. A leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So those are the verses that we looked at last Sunday. And remember what we learned from them. We learned about the summons of the gospel and the wisdom of it and the promise of it as well. The summons of the gospel is this. We're called to find in God's grace the meeting, the satisfaction of our deepest need, the summons of the gospel. And second, the wisdom of the gospel is this. If we heed that summons, it'll be the best decision we could possibly make. We're fools if we don't. Fools if we hold out on God. It makes all the sense in the world to come back to God. That's the wisdom of the gospel. And then third, the promise of the gospel is this. If we heed that summons, which is wise, we will find ourselves bound to God and him to us with unbreakable cords of steadfast love, covenant love, summons, wisdom, promise. So as we considered last week, what we've got here in chapter 55 of Isaiah is an offer like no other. And we are living in a world in which we are barraged, as we considered last Sunday, barraged with offers and ads, appeals and claims, thousands of them every day, but you'll never come across one like this one. It's an offer like no other. And, again, getting our bearings here, remember that what we've got in this chapter is that these verses apply to everybody. The summons, the wisdom, the promise. On the one hand, those who are on the outside looking in, they're called to come in. 
In other words, those who don't know the true God now, they're called to come to him for the first time in repentance and faith. And on the other hand, those who are already on the inside, those who already know the true God, we're called to. Repentance is for us too whenever we've lost our way. So what we've got here is both evangelism and discipleship. It's evangelism in the sense that it's a message for those on the outside, but it's discipleship in that it is at the same time a message for those on the inside, too. And since we're thinking about the analogy of advertising, isn't that the way advertising often works? On the one hand, if you've never tried our product, now's the time and it'll be the best decision that you ever made and it'll change your life. And on the, on the other hand, if you've already tried it, well, now's the time to remember what a good thing it is that you have tried it. And in some sense, to experience it again and again. An offer like no other. So that was last Sunday, verses 1 through 5. Let's pick up this morning at verse 6 and listen now to verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we trust that this is true, that your ways and thoughts are so much higher than our own. And so what a marvel it is that you have been able to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us in a way that we can understand. And so that becomes our prayer now, that you would work within our minds an understanding of your ways and thoughts and work within our hearts a faith to trust, a trust that shows itself in obedience, even in repentance. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, these four verses, six through nine, and you can tell just by hearing them that once again this Sunday, just like last Sunday, repentance is our theme. Called to repentance, called back to God. And so in these verses this morning, these four verses, we're going to notice four more lessons that we can learn about repentance. We're called back to God. And that itself, this idea of repentance, is yet another reason why this is an offer that is so unlike the offers, the advertisements that we're typically exposed to. A good bit of advertising that we're exposed to Many times a day, we might even say most of it, we might even say all of it, a good bit of it at least, 
plays to our pride. It plays to our pride. Buy these beauty products because you are worth it. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Or dine in our restaurant because you deserve to feast like a king. Or buy this phone because otherwise you may never be quite as cool as we all know you have the potential to be. Even that is a kind of play on our pride. You're the best. You're the, you're the greatest. Everybody loves you. Or they will if you just buy this or that or eat here or shop there. That's the premise. That's the part of the appeal. It plays to our pride. The message is either you're wonderful already or you're this close and all you're missing is buying what we're selling. That's what we're used to. And then along comes this offer, this appeal, which is so very different because this appeal says to you, you know what, you're not the best. And you're not great. And you're not lovely apart from God's grace. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Far from the best and great and lovely, you've actually lost your way. You've wandered away from God and his word, and not only that, but you're powerless to undo what you've done. You need God to forgive you. To put it mildly, that does not play to our pride. That humbles us, maybe even offends us. It is an offer like no other, an offer that starts out like that. But if you've got ears to hear it, you'll keep listening. You won't tune out. You won't hang up. And that's because what you know deep down is that a message that starts out by humbling you and even offending you is precisely the message that you need. It may not feel that way at first. We may bristle at first. At first, we might find ourselves thinking and feeling, I don't want to be put in my place like that. And so we might bristle at the suggestion that all's not well, all's not well with me, and that some response from me is called for accordingly. This is something that we were talking about last Sunday in our sermon discussion. I posed the question last Sunday as we were discussing these things. Why is it that repentance can be so difficult when we have failed God in some way? Why is it that we can be reluctant, we can find ourselves holding out on God when he calls us back. And one of the answers offered up, and it's true, was one word, pride. At first, we might find ourselves thinking and feeling, I don't want to be put in my place like that. I'd rather be told that I'm wonderful already or I'm this close and I don't need much. I'd rather not be humbled. But deep down, we know And in our more honest moments, we admit it, though it may take us some time to get there. Deep down, we know that a message that starts out by humbling us is precisely the message that we need, which is why, after we gather ourselves, we lean in and we tune in after all. Because it turns out this summons is a sweet sound after all. So let's do that together this morning. Let's give this this call a hearing. And as I mentioned, four points here, four lessons, four truths that we can learn about repentance. The first is this. 
Simple and sweet. God calls people to repentance. That's the first of them. God calls people to repentance. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. There's the call. There's the divine call. Seek the Lord. Call upon him. In other words, when you've wandered away from him into disobedience in some way, when you've lost your way, come back to him. Come back to him in faith. Come back to him for forgiveness. And what that means now, at this moment in history, in salvation history, is going back to God through faith in Jesus Christ, whom he has given as the only Savior. Jesus Christ now is the one who takes sinners by the hand and leads them back to God in repentance. And that's because Jesus is the Son of God. And he bore the wrath of God on the cross to pay for our sins. Come back to God by faith in Christ. That's the call. And notice what else is in the call here. Verse 7. It also means the wicked forsaking his way. And the unrighteous giving up his thoughts. And isn't that real repentance? That's a real turning back to God. The whole point of it is turning round so that you're no longer going in the same direction that you were. You're repudiating the things that you'd wandered into. By the grace of God, you're going to do your best to leave them behind. Even to put them to death. And so as it says here, there are ways that have to be given up. In other words, forms of behavior that are inconsistent with God's holy word. And so you forsake gossip and deceit and immorality and theft and slander. And we could go on. And not only that, but there are thoughts that have to be given up. Do you see that as well in verse 7? Thoughts that have to be given up. In other words, it runs more deeply than mere outward behavior. It reaches the thoughts of the mind. The things that you think about longingly. The things that you plan deliberately. It could be impure thoughts. It could be malicious thoughts. It could be scheming thoughts. It could be idolatrous, unbelieving thoughts. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his way. And it's worth stressing in all of this that this is a demand from God, the calling to repentance. This is demanded. This isn't just recommended or suggested. This is a matter of right and wrong. It is right to repent and it is wrong not to do so. That's why I wanted to read Acts 17 for us earlier in our service. There's Paul in Athens. And he is preaching the resurrection, which made some people mock him. And he's also preaching repentance. And so he says to the folks in Athens that day, Acts 17, Now God commands 
all people everywhere to repent. That's Acts 17, verse 30. God commands this. Or Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Paul refers to those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Those who do not obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1.8. The implication being the gospel, including the call to repent and believe the gospel, is something that can be obeyed or disobeyed. Because it comes as a divine demand. We sometimes talk about the free offer of the gospel. And rightly so, there's nothing wrong with putting it that way. It is an offer. Salvation, it's true to say, is offered in Jesus Christ. But it's not an offer like extra cheese is an offer. Or the way buy one, get one is an offer. Or the way the extended warranty is an offer, which you know they're going to offer you. The kind of offer that you could politely decline and it wouldn't make that much of a difference. This is not like that. This is an offer that comes with the full force of divine authority backing it up. God demands repentance. And it's always wrong to say no to God, to hold out on God. It's always right. To yield to his just demand. So that's the first. God calls people to repentance. Here's the second. The second of four. Now is the time for it. Now is the time for repentance. Look again at verse 6. See how it's put? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now's the time for it. The point is, when you've wandered away from God into disobedience, when you've lost your way, come back to him and come back to him now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't merely put it on your list of things to do with the thought that you'll get to it eventually. Come back to him now by faith in Jesus Christ. And this too, this isn't just a word for those who are on the outside of God looking in. This isn't just a word for people who don't know the true God. And that the window of opportunity is eventually going to close on them for all eternity. Now that's true. But it's also true that this is a word for us believers as well. And I say that because in Psalm 32, you don't need to flip there, but just listen to what David says in Psalm 32 to fellow believers. Psalm 32, verse 6. David says, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Same idea. That's Psalm 32, verse 6. So even this is an equal opportunity appeal. Come back to him now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Because if you do, 
If you do put it off, you might very well find, in one way or another, that you've managed to make real trouble for yourself down the road, that you don't have quite the same opportune moment for repentance that you have right now. And that is certainly the case for the person who doesn't know the true God at all right now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't put it off. Nobody should put it off. So that's the second lesson to learn here. Now's the time for it. And then here's the third. So the first was God calls people repentance to repentance. The second was now's the time for it. Here's the third. Remarkably, forgiveness is the result. Forgiveness from God is the result of repenting and going back to God. Because what does it say here? Verse 7. After he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Then he says this, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It's one of the things I love about Hebrew poetry. The way you almost always have things said twice. In two different ways, back to back. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's the promise. Come back to God in repentance, and he will forgive you. He'll pardon on you. He'll have compassion on you. Pardon is what he does, and compassion is why he does it. In other words... He takes the act of pardoning because of compassion that dwells within the divine heart. That's the promise. And here again, that's a promise that's clear now in Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness because Christ went to the cross to buy it, to purchase it for the people of God. There's compassion because our God is the kind of God who would send his own son to do that. There's pardon. Because Christ purchased it for us. And, and notice, as if we needed extra reassurance, we're told here not only that he'll pardon, but that he will abundantly pardon. God will abundantly pardon. So here's the question. What's so abundant about it? What makes it lavish? What makes it extravagant? Well, first of all, it's abundant in that all our sins are forgiven when we go back to God in repentance. You come back to God, he doesn't start picking and choosing from among your sins as to the ones that he's going to forgive and the ones that he's not. He forgives all of them. Second, it's abundant in that even our greatest sins are forgiven. You cannot come back to God in repentance confessing some sin that's too great for his grace to handle. Can't be done. There aren't any. His grace is greater than our sins, even the worst of them. You cannot outmatch his mercy. And then third of all, one more, it's abundant in that it'll never be taken away. I love the image of the book of Micah. You think about all of the images and the phrases and the descriptions in Scripture of forgiveness that help us to understand it. In Micah, 
chapter 7, verse 19, it says this about God. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7, verse 19. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Well, once God does that, he doesn't go diving for them again. That's the end of them. When God casts our sins into the depths of the sea, that's it. It is finished. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that God, the all-knowing one, actually forgets, no longer has the knowledge of how you sinned against him. No, he's God. He'll always be God. He'll always be the all-knowing one. But what it does mean is that he'll never go diving into the depths of the sea and, and draw up your sins again so that they become a barrier again between you and him the way they were before. Everlasting pardon. It'll never be taken away. So forgiveness is the result of repentance. That's our third. And that leaves one more. God calls people to repentance. Now's the time for it. Forgiveness is the result of it. And this last point's going to sound a bit cheeky, but I think you'll get the idea, and it's important that we make it. Point three was forgiveness is the result of repentance. Well, point four now is no, really. Forgiveness is the result of repentance. In other words, point three sounded too good to be true. Can it really be true that abundant forgiveness of all my sins, even the greatest of them, forever, is the result of my repentance when I know that even my repentance needs to be forgiven because it's not all that it should be and, it, and it's halting and it's weak and it's reluctant. Surely this is too good to be true. And so we need a point four on the heels of that one that says, no, really, this is true. We need that reassurance and we get it from verses eight and nine. Forgiveness is the result of repentance because God is not like us. Look at verses 8 and 9. After promising abundant pardon, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now here's the question. Those two verses, what's that doing here in this passage? Why is that here? Now, it's certainly true that verses 8 and 9 together are affirming what is a grand and, and sweeping and all-encompassing truth about God. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. There's a whole lot of theology in there. So many differences between God's thoughts and ours, between God's ways and ours. He is God 
We are not. He is the creator. We are creatures. He is holy. Apart from his grace, we are not. If we wanted to, we could do a whole sermon series on verses 8 and 9. That's a sweeping truth. But it's important for us to bear in mind that here in this particular passage, that sweeping truth is accomplishing a particular purpose. It has a function here. It has a focus here. And that focus, that function, is to back up the claim that abundant pardon results when we repent. God is different from us. He's other than us. He's higher than us in that he is a God who abundantly pardons the one who comes back to him. We might very well doubt the gospel promise that forgiveness is the result of repentance. Why? Because that's not what we're used to. That's not how people tend to treat each other here on earth. And so we need this reassurance. A reassurance that comes from heaven down to earth. Listen to how John Calvin put it. Calvin, the great theologian and pastor and Bible commentator of the 16th century. John Calvin wrote this. Quote, Men are want... W-O-N-T. In other words, this is our tendency. This is, how, this is what we're prone to do. Men are wont to judge and measure God from themselves. For their hearts, men's hearts, are moved by angry passions and are therefore difficult to be appeased. And therefore, men think that they cannot be reconciled to God when they have once offended him. In other words, we tend to think that God is just like us in all the worst ways. But Calvin goes on. But the Lord shows that he is far from resembling men. It's as if God had said, I am not a mortal man, that I should show myself to be harsh and irreconcilable to you. My thoughts are very different from yours. If you are implacable and can only with difficulty be brought back to a state of friendship with those from whom you have received an injury, I am not like you that I should treat you so cruelly. And then Calvin says this, and this is what really hit me. He says, there is nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think that God is like ourselves. End quote. So we're, we're imagining here the human race apart from God's grace. Apart from... The gospel, apart from being changed by the gospel of God's grace, what are people like in the world apart from transforming gospel grace? Well, the answer is people are not naturally abundant forgivers. Not the way God is. Those who have been changed by his grace, yes, we're taught to forgive like God, but apart from his grace, left to nothing but their natural resources, people are not merciful, abundant forgivers. That's just not the natural condition of the human race. That's not the state of the world. And as Calvin puts it, there is nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think that God is like that too. There's nothing quite so discouraging as when we take what we're used to in fallen human experience and then project that on God. And the answer to that, the answer to that profound 
Discouragement and confusion is the gospel. In other words, we can take that John Calvin quote and turn it around. We can say there's nothing that comforts and liberates our consciences more than when we realize that God is not like ourselves. He's so wonderfully different. He's so unlike us, higher than us, better than us. Sometimes when Henry and I get up on stage together, we sing an old song that we learned called Not Like You. And I was thinking this morning, this could be a a variation on that song title. I was thinking, I want to write a worship song called I Am Not Like You. The point being, God is not like us. It would be God saying, I know what you're used to. I know what human beings are like when they're left to themselves. I know what you're used to, but I am not like you. Isn't that very good news? Friends, come back to God in repentance, and you will have a reception with him that is so wonderfully unlike what we're used to here on earth. His thoughts and his ways are as high above us as heaven itself. So those are our four lessons to learn today. God calls people to repentance. Now's the time for it. Forgiveness is the result of it. No, really. Abundant forgiveness is ours when we go back to God. So putting a bow on this, let me say first of all to anyone who's joined us today, whether here in the hall or via Facebook, or who's listening later, who's not a believer in the Lord Jesus. And I'd say to you this morning, take each of these four lessons we've learned and take them personally. I've, I've had to state our four points in somewhat impersonal terms. That's the nature of a sermon. But what I'd say to you is, don't leave them impersonal. What I'd say to you is, insert your name here. Imagine there's a kind of blank in each of our four points, and under it it says, insert your name here. God calls you to repentance. By name. Calls you by name to come back to him by faith in Jesus Christ. And now's the time for you to do just that. Don't put it off. And he'll forgive you. He'll abundantly forgive you. You. When you do. And no, really, he will. I know it sounds too good to be true. And it is unbelievably good. And it's also rock solidly true. Insert your name here. As I've said before from this pulpit, I realize that just one sermon might provoke more questions than it answers. And so if this is something you ever want to talk about, I would love to do just that. Just don't put it off. Now's the time. And for those of us who are in Christ by faith already, we who are already on the inside in Christ and he in us, I'd say to you, Christian, insert your name as well. This is an equal opportunity appeal. Christian, when you wander, child of God, 
God calls you back to himself by faith in Christ whom you know. He's still your Savior whom you know and who knows you. That's still the way to come back to God. The terms haven't changed since you first came to know God through Christ. The way back is still repentance by faith in Christ. And now's the time for you to go back to him. Don't put it off. And he'll abundantly forgive you when you do. And that's because his thoughts and his ways are still higher than yours. As high as heaven. So I'll put to you this morning, right right here in the sermon, the same question that I posed last Sunday in that sermon discussion. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. Why is it that we find repentance difficult? Why is it that we can be reluctant to go back to God when we know that he calls us to? And insert your name there. Put your own name in that question. Why is it hard for you, Christian? Could it be, in your case, that part of the answer is you've lapsed into thinking that God is just like us in all the worst ways? Is your conscience troubled by the thought that God is just like what we're accustomed to down here? Be troubled no more. Be comforted instead. Be liberated instead. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than yours and his thoughts than yours. And Christian, therein lies your salvation. Insert your name there. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you and we worship you as a God whose thoughts and ways are so much higher than our own, as high as heaven itself is above the earth. And we thank you that you do call us back to yourself when we've gone away from you. And we know that now's the time for it. And we stand amazed at this, that you forgive us when we do, because you are not like us. So would you encourage and strengthen our faith this day, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.